You're listening to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Morning and welcome to Chasing the Word with Compassion Radio. Coming to the end of our very first psalm that we've highlighted, and that is the Psalm 18, one of the Davidic psalms, David himself singing the story. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the microphone, honey. Hello, it's good to be here. So, how do you wrap up a psalm that seems to be full of war rhetoric and triumphing over your enemies and establishing yourself as ruler of the peoples? You know, how do we relate to this? That's the kind of thing we've been wrestling with for the past four weeks here. And we're going to wrap it up today with some really interesting twists at the end of this psalm. Well, wrapping it up is just a matter of finishing what we've started here, asking the Lord what he wants us to know with it. (laughs) Fair enough. We talked last week about how we believe that Jesus himself was a pacifist and how we align ourselves with that as well. And so the whole idea of war rhetoric rankles me a bit. Mm. However, I do believe that there are internal wars that we fight that we have to be prepared for. And I think that's what David is saying in this psalm, a lot of it too. He's like, he prepares me for battle. Plenty of people would say that, you know, no, he's talking about real battles. I don't disagree with that. When we look at the New Testament, of course, we understand that the real battle, the one that is far and above all else, is the one for the souls of men. Mm -hmm. And that it has everything to do with what we're going to become as people and what our expectations are of how to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. When you said that we believe that Jesus is a pacifist, I would say that the context we need to put that in is that if you and I were sitting down with Jesus across the table talking politics, where would he find himself on the rhetoric of politics? Do we demonize others or Mm. do we see them as not just equals, but ones worthy of the service and salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ? Mm. And if so, how do we act in that knowledge, in that conviction? And I do believe that Jesus would be very clear that the hero of the story is the underdog. And that's the way he always taught us parables. Mm-hmm. And it's the way he told us to be on our knees, leaning forward into the work that he has for us. If we want to know what Jesus thinks about how to really conquer the world, so to speak, the first image that would come from his lips to our ears is going to be the Last Supper, where he spends his time on his knees washing, washing feet. feet. Now, those <laughs> things have real spiritual and historical power when they're exercised. And that's something we've never really understood until Jesus, that there's power bigger and deeper. And before the dawn of time, that comes from this notion of the suffering servant, the God who saves, the God who comes to save, and not just by destroying others, but by saving all. And there's no salvation out there that's offered to only a few. Hmm. God mm-hmm. either offers a salvation and his way to every human being that's ever lived, or it doesn't exist. And that's one of those real paradoxes we get into in talking about, well, what about all those people who didn't hear the gospel before Jesus spoke it? That's been a wrestling that people have been going through for centuries. It's not going to stop anytime soon, no. but that's okay. Yeah. Because we have to wrestle with that. What does it mean? And I would say right now, we're looking at a world where I could say, I can't solve every problem out there, nor do I think a God would expect me to do so or that we have to understand or give an answer to every problem that's in the world today. But we do have what's right in front of us. And God's saying, for what you know and who you're with, live it out. Mm -hmm. Let me take care of the rest. And as far as seeing Jesus as a pacifist, I mean, there would be arguments that, well, he flipped tables. He was angry and and even acted out in anger at times, which absolutely he did. What I mean by that is that He encouraged us to love our enemies and to bless those that persecute us. 
that sounds so hard, and I don't think I can do it without what David is talking about here, that Mm -hmm. God himself is preparing us for that battle. And I think that's why I think it's an internal battle that we face that God prepares us for. Well, any good soldier is going to have an internal battle first before they face an enemy without. You know, you can't just stumble your way into victory. And plenty of people have said spiritual life is not about trying to be better or trying to make God happy or trying to do this or that. Mm -hmm. The call to the life of the way, which is what the church was called at the beginning, was to train, to understand the rule book of engagement with the enemy and to know who the enemy really was and to not make enemies out of those who are not. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to be fighting the wrong people, the wrong ideas, the wrong forces or principalities. And even the apostles say, you know, there are principalities of the air, things you've heard about, rumors out there, but there are real spiritual forces at work in this world. We need to be aware that they are. But not every devil is sitting on every fence post. Exactly. They don't tell us to go look for devils everywhere. The apostles say that they are there. The Holy Spirit's job is to identify what's true and what's in error and to give us wisdom if we ask for it. But we got to live it. We actually have to train in the way that God gave us. And David is definitely a dedicated military commander, but he became that by being a very dedicated military student of war. He understands what lethal enemies can do. He understands how to defeat even the most lethal out there. And those metaphors have carried forward into spiritual discussions ever since. And now we jump right back into the end of Psalm 18. Now, we ended on a very interesting, almost sour note there. (laughs) Verse 42 says... I beat them to sand, to dust that blows in the wind. I flung them away like trash in the gutters. Like mud in the streets. We just threw them out. So David is obviously speaking victoriously about an encounter or the way he goes about dealing with those who would stand against not just him, but against God. Right. Now, does that mean that we're all supposed to be zealots? No, I don't think so. David was very zealous for God. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe in the way that he's presented throughout all of Scripture that he was a zealot. A zealot does not have compassion. A zealot does not have humility. A zealot is right about everything. Yeah, yeah. And the biggest stories in the life of David that we look back and say, well, how in the world could he be a man after God's own heart when we know this about him? The way he treated Bathsheba and his Hittite soldier that was so loyal and perfect in all the ways that a soldier needs to be. How can he possibly be a man after God's own heart after conspiring to murder? Mm. You know, those are real difficult questions we have to wrestle through. And we're supposed to, because God did not give us a David on the pages of Scripture that is scrubbed clean. Right. All of David is there. And he was a man who was humbled and allowed himself to be humbled and humbled himself. We see that across all of those accusations against he being the man that created all this sin and all this destruction falling on his country and even on his own family. He brought it on himself and he confesses it. So here we have not just David the poet, David the singer, David the warrior, David the king. We also have David the confessor. Mm, That's a good way to put it. And that's important. Yeah. Okay. So how are we going to finish off this chapter? We have this, I did my enemies in, and it didn't just stop with that battle. There's more to the story. Starting in verse 43, reading from The Voice. You rescued me from conflict with the peoples. You raised me up to rule over nations. People who did not know me have come to serve me. Strangers come to me, afraid. As soon as they hear about me, they serve me. 
Strangers who have lost heart come fearfully to me from behind their walls. The Eternal is alive. My rock is blessed, and exalted is the true God of my deliverance. The God who avenged me and placed the peoples under me, who rescued me from all my foes, truly you raised me up above my enemies and saved me from the violent ones. For this I will praise you among the nations, O Eternal One, and sing praises to your name. He is a tower of salvation for his king and shows his enduring love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Prophecy on that one. We mm-hmm. we make much as a Christian church of that promise to David that his kingdom would never cease. And of course we understand that to be that Jesus was the true inheritor of that kind of kingship. And we see him as being the prince royal, the avenger of those who were mistreated and are unjustly accused or harmed. He is the avenger of all those wrongs. Mm. But he's also, like David, a high priest. So we have something special in Jesus that, that the scripture is foreshadowing. And David is speaking that as a promise. But the thing I really resonate with in these last few verses, honey, is that he's spent the whole first part of this psalm talking about the enemies without. And then he faces the potential of looking at the people of his own country as being enemies within. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He pivots to say, you rescued me from the squabbling people. He's talking about our family now. He doesn't say, I put down a rebellion. Right. He says, you made me the leader of nations. So not only the people that he thought he was going to rule, but all those who had been brought into subjugation to the nation of Israel for different reasons mm-hmm. were now honoring him as a king. I see this also, this whole last part, as a prophecy about Jesus mm. and how Jesus is the ruler of nations. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the one who came and brought the salvation, brought this end to conflict, basically, by his life here on earth and his death and resurrection. And I see that where David says, you raised me up to rule nations, I I see that as Jesus, who Jesus is. Mm. He's been raised up to rule nations, and strangers come, and they're afraid, and they they don't know what to make of him, this Jesus, and, and they come fearful. Then they know him, they meet him, and they serve him. They want to serve him. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. 
where David says, you raised me up to rule nations, I, I see that as Jesus, who Jesus is. Mm. He's been raised up to rule nations, and strangers come, and they're afraid, and they they don't know what to make of him, this Jesus, and, and they come fearful. Then they know him, they meet him, and they serve him. They want to serve him. They hear about him. They have lost heart. Mm-hmm. They've come to him without hope. They've come out from behind their walls, verse uh, 45 says, But they've begun to serve Jesus because they see who Jesus is. And like we talked about at the beginning of chapter 18, he saw and he heard from Mm. his temple and came to them to rescue them. And what he heard, what he saw, angered him. Yeah. So he ran to the rescue of those who were his. Yeah, yeah. All these other people, though, do not seem to be getting outright destroyed. I mean, David facing up to people that were trying to attack him personally or take him down or cut him off. He had to fight back and cut them off before they could. So in a military sense, you know, it's survival of the fittest. But all the rest, everyone seemed to have a very gray life. You know, they're both good and they're bad. And all of these people along the way seem to be people that God is interested in. He's not dispensing with all the people saying, they're not my people or I don't want them. He does a lot of different things. A lot of people we would say would have no business being part of the kingdom. David is not saying, I'm better than them, or that they're vermin coming to me. I, in my infinite mercy, have been gentle with them. He talks about ruling over them, in this sense, to be a wise ruler as a king, not a victor on the battlefield. Well, again, I have to go back to Second Samuel here, too, because this is the part that we're told that Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, who was crippled, is brought to David. Mm-hmm. And they all expect him to kill him. Hmm. They all expect him to take his life. to the throne. Right. Because he should have been next in line. Right. David takes him into his home as his own and cares for him and sets up a place for him that he can be safe and well cared for for the rest of his life. Right. So we see that these strangers are coming in and they're expecting to be put to death. They're Hmm. expecting to be banished or whatever. But then they see this treatment of Jonathan's son and say, wow. That was his enemy. Hmm. That was the person who should rightfully take his throne. And yet he has treated him with kindness and love. Of course, we know the story of him and Jonathan, and they were dear, dear friends, and he loved Jonathan deeply. But he had every single right given to him in this place to as an earthly king as an earthly king to do away with him obviously the lesson right there is that not every challenger is an enemy nor is every enemy worth being destroyed right when jesus says love your enemies how do you go out there and love them to death you don't you love (laughs) them to life and david is a life giver in that regard he's not embarrassed to do so because out of love flows these things Mm -hmm. and you don't treat your enemies kindly i mean really with love unless you really love you can't pretend this. No. You know, and yeah. how many times do we go to church saying, oh, we should reach all these people around the world to go to the ends of the earth to bring the Great Commission to its fulfillment or the Great Commandment to its fruit? Mm-hmm. And we don't really think about what it would mean to be in the same family as somebody from this tribe or this tongue or this people group that we have vague images of. What would it be like to actually go there and be responsible to receive their hospitality and to honor them without embarrassing them or yourself, will we really be willing to submit ourselves in humility to accept from them their hospitality? Because if we're really not excited about the possibility of sitting down with somebody who's so different from us that we are at a loss to understand, but who still has the authority to kick us out of their home if we embarrass them, 
Are we willing to go there? Oh, I would go a step further and ask, are we willing to go across town and do the same thing? <laughs> Which is the harder thing, is it not? Absolutely. Because if God brings you the world and says, I have all these people right here. Which is happening. Right. And you're not willing to leave your neighborhood or your worship service on that particular Sunday to go serve my people or find my people to be found in these places. Why are you asking me to bless you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's not an accusation from the Holy Spirit. It's an observation. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going out of its way to shame us no. into good behavior. But if we really listen and say, God, am I getting this right here? Because I want to know what you think about this. Is there something I'm missing here? If we ask those kind of questions from an honest heart, Funny thing is, God has a habit of answering those kind of prayers. <laughs> yeah. you know, we have friends, like we talked about in this program a number of times, that were challenged by their church leaders in St. Louis years ago. They had an opportunity for Thanksgiving. There was all kinds of new immigrants and refugees that were pouring into St. Louis at that time. I think it was like the late 90s and the early 2000s. And they were encouraged to go invite somebody from these communities that had expressed an interest in it to invite them to their own Thanksgiving dinner. People in the community were being told what was important about the culture they're in, and they didn't understand what Thanksgiving was about or why it was so important that somebody from a group that preceded the United States would leave a tradition that everyone in the United States would honor. Mm -hmm. So they did that very thing. They were challenged, and they invited people from those communities to come join them at the table. And if they couldn't come, to go bring Thanksgiving to them. It worked Mm -hmm. in the way that it built relationships and fruit and understanding and real love and friendship in places that no one ever expected because they opened their tables and their homes to mm-hmm. people who they knew at first were going to be very much unlike them. Mm-hmm. And then they discovered, of course, like we all do, how much we're all like yeah. and how much we desire the same things or are afraid of the same things and how much community makes a difference in us being able to move forward when we're stuck. So David is making a place at his table, like you said, for Mephibosheth. And God's making a place at his table for David Mm -hmm. and his nation and blessing them all because they were willing to follow him. Right. Well, I think in wrapping this up in true David fashion, if you read through the book of Psalms and you find out the Psalms of David and you go to the end of them, Mm -hmm. you will see that for the most part, David ends every Psalm that he writes with praise and thanksgiving. Yeah. And just talking to God, telling him back who he is and how important he is. And I'm going to praise you because you rescued me, you've lifted me up, you've established me, all of these things. And David always ends with that. And for me, that is such a difficult but a great reminder. Mm. That's how I need to live. Yeah. Even with all of the, you know, God, why didn't you show up or come rescue me? And what are you doing? And all of the, you know, kind of prayers that we pray to come back around and be reminded ourselves and speaking that back to God. I love thanks. Give thanks. You know, it's important to hear from people that we love Mm -hmm. how important we are to them. You know, I love it when you say, I love you, Sandy. I love it when you tell me. Why this meal was good, or this great meal that you cooked. Thank you. Or I love it when we have conversations about how we care about each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's means so much to me. It's meaningful. And I think that maybe God is that way. Maybe God loves to hear from us and how we love him and how we think 
greatly about him. Is that the right word? <laughs> Why not? Well, we talk about God's nature being so much higher than ours and our understanding is so much more limited compared to what he's capable of conceiving. Mm-hmm. We all know that's true. But it seems like he keeps reiterating throughout the entire Bible that he's not above feeling things mm-hmm. and that he invented us to experience things in ways that make us in some ways like him. Yeah, He is passionate about us. Not just because he made us, but because he made us well and because he loves what he made. Very good. Now, at the end of this psalm, you hear him talking about how much he's celebrating the nature of God, that he is a liberator. He's towering like a fortress. He's shut up the smack talk of the people in the streets. He has set things right. He's rescued me from enemies and their anger. He's pulled me up from the grip of the upstarts, all of the challengers to the throne. He's done so much. And he as a king is acknowledging that. It didn't come from his strength or from his people. It came from God's hand alone is what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And he says, that's why I'm thanking you, God, all over the world. And that's why I'm singing songs that rhyme your name. God's king takes the trophy and God's chosen is beloved. I mean, David and all his children always, you know, (laughs) my people will always be taught to praise you is what David's saying. Now, that is a challenge to you and I and everyone listening to this program today. Have we trained our children to always praise God? Not telling them to do it, but training them how? Well, by example. And by showing them that these things I believe to be true. We can say they're true. When the kids see them in our lives, of course, they're going to believe more because we actually act on our belief. But we can say with confidence that the Word of God said it. King David said it. I agree with him. God is always worthy to be praised. And I want you guys to know that from my heart, that I believe that with all my heart. Mm -hmm. So we give thanks. In Canada right now, it's about Thanksgiving time because they have theirs about a month earlier than we have in the United States. So why not end this first study in a thankful note and that this is a great Thanksgiving hymn for us. And with that, we'll turn it back over to you, friends. Find some way to worship if you haven't been doing that recently. Remember to give thanks. And we'll see you back tomorrow for the next Compassion Radio. How many songs can I sing with no purpose When only you're worthy of my whole life And even still you're faithful, even still you're good I'm carried by your mercy to see you like I never should And though this isn't perfect you want every fight So I will lift my praise to you For everything you are I just want your heart
crazy for everything you are I just want your heart Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.